A couple of announcements. First, I want to just talk about starting point. We're beginning a new starting point class next week. And for those of you who don't know, starting point is a 10-week study that we um, have that you... It's designed for those who are just beginning their relationship with Jesus Christ or who are just coming into the church or really who are interested in beginning a relationship with Jesus Christ. Starting point literally is the idea of we all have to start somewhere. And we all start without any knowledge, and it's just kind of a, a, a lesson to help us get the foundation, the fundamentals of what Christianity is all about. I, I, in my mind, I like to kind of think of it as Christianity one-on-one. So if you're interested in participating in the starting point class, it'll be meeting on Sunday mornings at 9 o'clock, and it'll be meeting during the 9 o'clock service. So there's a sign-up sheet out on the back at that table. We would like for you to uh, come sign up and participate in that starting point class. I promise you, it's a great class. I've uh, studied through it a couple of times, taught it one time, and I have enjoyed it each time I've looked at it. I've learned a lot from it each time I've looked at it. So if you're interested in that, please sign up. This is probably going to be a different sermon this morning than what you've heard uh, in the past. And and maybe it will be, maybe it won't, I don't know, but it's definitely different for me. Let me start with this question. Does Jesus promote sin? Odd question, isn't it? You're kind of looking at me with dumbfounded stares. That actually is a question that is in the text that we're going to look at today. And it's a question that has everything to do with the series that we're studying right now, the book of Galatians, and everything to do with the concept of losing my religion. That's the name of the series that Chris has given uh, as we study through the book of Galatians. And that's where we're going to pick up this morning. We're going to talk about this concept of losing our religion but it starts, in, in this lesson is going to start with the idea, does Jesus promote sin? The question in, in my translation, the way it's written out is, is Jesus then the servant of sin or the minister of sin? Odd question. And it, you might think, where does that question come from? Well, this is where it came from. That was actually an attack that was made on the gospel during the early church and the time when the gospel was first being proclaimed and it was spreading throughout all of the area around Jerusalem and into Asia and into those areas. One of the attacks that was consistently made against the gospel was that it promoted sin. And this was the idea. The gospel... The idea, the very truth of the gospel is we're saved by our faith in Jesus Christ and not by anything, anything that we do or don't do. We're not saved by keeping the law. We're not, and when I say saved, the idea there is we're not brought into a relationship with God We're not made right with God by keeping the law. Now, we talked about this last week, and Chris introduced the subject, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time going through that, uh, the whole introduction where we talked about it. But you remember, the heart of the gospel message is 
you don't do anything to make yourself right with God. God does everything to make us right with Him. It's His free gift, one that He gives to us. It's a gift that is given to us through Jesus Christ and through the work that Jesus did for us when He came and lived and died and paid the price for our sins at Calvary on the cross. Now, we saw last week that some people had come to the, to the people of Galatia and to the church in Galatia, and they basically were saying, listen, you're right, we're saved by faith, we trust in Jesus and in the work that he did, but you also have to be circumcised. You have to keep the law. You have to become Jewish in that sense. And so that's what they were saying. And you remember Chris talked about how adding anything to the very basic gospel message, Jesus plus anything, changes the heart of what's being, uh, what being what's the message that's being taught. So in, in that instance, and what was happening in Galatia is they were saying, yes, yes, you, you, we're saved by what Christ did, but we've got to keep the law. We've got to be circumcised. We've got to keep some of the other rules of the law and do those things. And, and you've got to do those things. And Paul fought that with everything that he had in him. And the whole letter that was written to the Galatians is addressing that particular lie. And let me say it to you in a different fashion. We, we titled the series, Losing My Religion. Religion is man saying... This is what I'm going to do to make myself right with God. Religion consists essentially of man's efforts to make ourselves acceptable to God. So when we talk about losing our religion, it's the idea of, of moving away from this idea that I can do something to make myself acceptable to God and to put myself into a right relationship with God. something that was added to the message that was being preached to the Galatians was you must be circumcised. Galatians chapter 2 actually gives us a, a couple of examples of other issues that came up in the early church and issues that dealt with this whole idea of essentially what it said was, yeah, we're going to trust in Jesus, but you've got to be religious too. You've got to be Jewish. You must be circumcised in that sense. And in, in the we're going to look at as we look at this passage there's some other issues that came up along those lines other things that people said well this is what you have to do now again those issues are going to be related to the issue of circumcision the issue of the law the Old Testament law and those are kind of things that for you and I we don't think much about those things today how many of you have ever been told you have to be circumcised to be a member of the church I don't see one hand. How many of you have ever been told you have to follow the dietary laws? These issues don't mean anything to us, do they? Not one, not, not one hand. They don't mean anything to us in the historical sense that we look at those. But now, what I want you to see is they mean everything to us. They're very important to us because it's not an issue of are you circumcised. That's not what we struggle with today. You know what we struggle with today? Are you religious enough? Somebody came into my office just this last week, maybe about 10 days ago, 
and, and we were talking and just kind of going through talk, small talk, and, and he said to me, and this, this person is an uh, atheist or agnostic, and I'm not sure which is the best way to... He either doesn't believe in God or he thinks that God doesn't matter at all, and it just really is not important at all. And what he said to me, we were talking, and he says, you know, you and I, we're on the opposite sides. Uh, excuse me, we're at the opposite ends of the spectrum when it comes to organized religion. And then he, and he looked right at me and almost the challenge, I don't believe in organized religion. And I looked right back at him and said, neither do I. I said, in fact, I believe that organized religion leads people straight to hell. He was kind of taken back. And I said, well, you want to talk about it? And he got, no, that's enough. I, you know, that was kind of, but that's the truth. And, and I said that, and I wasn't trying to be funny. I really believe that. And I don't believe it because Danny's smart or because I, I believe it because God's Word says it. Organized religion, the idea that I can do something to make myself right with God leads people straight to hell. The churches today, and for the last 2,000 years, and really since history began, men have been working to earn their way to heaven. How much can I do to make myself right with God? Now, we don't ever say it quite in those terms, but we think it and we behave it and we act that way in our lives. Let me give you an example. And I, one of the things I don't want us to do is just think that, that this is some academic exercise because we're going to see that this passage and this idea really involves you and I today where we live. And it's not just about how we come to faith in Jesus Christ, but how we, it's really about how we live by faith in Jesus Christ today. Today, in and out, all the time. Now, I've been a believer really all of my life. I can't remember a time when I didn't believe. I, I, my dad was a pastor. I grew up in the church. I, I mean, I, my first memories in life are from inside of a church. I've been in the church my whole life. I've never disbelieved in God. I've never not believed that Jesus was the Son of God. I've never disbelieved that I was a sinner and that I needed to be saved. That I, that, and I couldn't do it myself. All those basic tenets of the gospel, I've believed from the time I can remember, I just I, I can't remember ever not believing those things. I remember a time when I said, oh, I'm just going to do what I want to do, and someday I'll come to Jesus, and I'll accept him, but for now I'm going to get what you can get out of life. And that was kind of the way I started my life in some ways. Uh, and then when I was in high school, uh, I said, okay, now I'm going to trust, I'm going to, I'm going to commit my life to you, and Lord, I'm going to come to you. I can't tell you the day I was saved, the day that I was converted, I know that God has worked in my heart and He has changed my life. What I can tell you is that even today, almost 50 years from when I was born, almost 50 years from when I became a believer in some ways, even today I struggle with this issue that we are saved by grace, by faith in Jesus Christ and nothing else. I struggle with it in how I live and what I do. Because I start in my conduct to live in a way that is inconsistent with the gospel, with the basic tenets of the gospel. What do I mean by that? Well, I, I really have, if, 
struggled in my thinking to, to come up with examples of what this means. Let me just, let's just, I'm going to throw out one to you. I found myself, years ago, I found myself thinking in this fashion. I would be moving along pretty good and rocking along, and then I would, I would uh, I'd stumble. I'd sin. Stumble sounds nice. I'd sin. I'd fail. Maybe on a Saturday night. And I get up on Sunday morning, and I thought, I'm not going to church. I'm, I can't go face God today. Given what I did last, I can't go face God today. Given who I really am, and I look, would look at myself, and so I think. And I re- and now, truthfully, I usually went to church because that's what I grew. That's the way I grew up. You get up, you go to church on Sunday mornings, always. And I just would not do that. But in my heart, I didn't want to go. I didn't want to go be in front of God. I didn't want to face God. Because I thought, I need a little bit of distance. I need a little bit of time, separation from my sin before I can come back before a holy and just God. Now, what was I trusting in when I thought that way? The answer is I was trusting in Danny, in my righteousness and who I was. What are you trusting in? I don't know. I don't. Most of you, I don't know except for maybe just you know by face, and we're, we're, we have some relationship. Some of you I know better, but I don't know any of your hearts like I know my own heart. But I would ask the question: What are you trusting in? And how good you are? In what you don't do? A lot of us think of it in this fashion. I don't do, you know, I don't do drugs, I don't kill, I don't murder, I don't, and we, we kind of have our list of things that we don't do. Uh, or we think, I do do this, right? I, I feed the poor. I, I go out and I work all the time and I give and, I, and I, I do good deeds constantly. And we think in those terms and we think that those things make us closer to God. Now that's religion. That's what it is. And the problem is, religion is Satan's tool. Satan has used religion throughout history to destroy the gospel, to take men away from faith in Jesus Christ. We're in Galatians chapter 2, and we're going to look and turn there now, and we're going to look at this example uh, of how Satan was doing that, even in the early church. So we're going to look through these passages and we're going to just kind of gloss over and let me just give you the history a little bit of the beginning of the passages and then I want to focus in on how do we actually live by faith. And we're going to focus in on a verse that I would submit to you is very difficult for us to understand and apply, but it's one that's so very important. So if you have your Bibles, turn them to Galatians chapter 2. And let me give you the setting. Galatians, uh, in chapter 2, and we're going to begin in verse 11, I believe it is, Paul is writing about an incident that happened where when he was the, uh, at the church in Antioch, and Antioch was a, a city where one of the, it was really the first church that started that was not a predominantly Jewish church, which by, by that I mean that all the members were predominantly 
non-Jewish people. They had not been circumcised. They did not follow the Jewish laws. They were, in the terms that the Bible uses, they were Gentiles. In that sense, they were non-Jewish. We see that Paul is there preaching. Paul and Barnabas were two of the leaders of that church. And while they're there, Peter comes from Jerusalem. Peter is one of the uh, apostles of the Lord. He's probably the lead apostle, the one that we think about the most. Peter and some other guys come to Antioch, and they're fellowshipping with the people there in uh, Antioch, with the Gentiles. And by fellowshipping, they're eating with them, they're, they're interacting with them, they're mixing with them in that church. And we see uh, that some individuals come from Jerusalem. These are individuals that came and they basically, it's the, the passage describes them of being of the circumcision, which they basically said you have to be circumcised as well as coming to Christ through faith in Jesus Christ. Let's just read the passage beginning in verse 11. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles, but when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. The issue now is not circumcision. The issue is fellowship, eating with and interacting with the Gentiles. So and basically it is either you keep the Jewish religion or you stand by faith. Now, Peter didn't, and Barnabas, they didn't begin to turn away from the basic gospel, the truth that we're saved through faith in Jesus Christ. But the passage tells us that their conduct was inconsistent with that basic gospel, that their conduct was hypocritical in terms of pulling away from the Gentile believers. All of that's kind of, I mean, there's historical significance to it, but what's really important about that for us is some religious guys came to Antioch and they said to Peter, if you really are religious, if you're really a Christian, you've got to step back. You can't be interacting with those people. And Peter and Barnabas went along with them and they pulled back from them, from the, the non-Jewish believers, and they didn't interact with them and have fellowship with them. I want you to see, and Paul says it was hypocrisy. And he tells us why it was hypocrisy in verse 14. He says, But when I saw their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? In other words, he was there and he was was interacting with the the, uh, Gentiles, living like a Gentile. But then when the other Jewish religious people came, he stepped back and he said, Now you Gentiles, you've got to become like us Jews if we're going to have fellowship with you. Which essentially meant you need to go get circumcised. You need to start following the dietary laws and all those things. So, and he says, Peter, that's just plain hypocrisy. You were doing it one way, and now you're doing it another way. Well, that makes a lot of sense. Does we see the inconsistency there. Uh, at least I think that we can. That just really comes pretty clear to the surface. The, the real issue is not so much just the hypocrisy, but he says what you're doing, your conduct is not consistent with the truth of the gospel. What's the truth of the gospel that it was inconsistent with? Their conduct was not consistent with this truth, that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ and not by the works of the law, not by religion. Now, Peter goes on to, excuse me, Paul goes on to 
tell Peter, and he, and he, he just kind of lays it out there, and I want to read it to you again. This is, the, um, this is the heart of what the truth of the gospel is. And just take these truths for what they are. Let's just listen to him. He says, uh, We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Jesus Christ. Right? We know that we're not justified by keeping the law. So you and I, we believed in Jesus Christ so that we could be saved by faith, so that we could be made right with God by faith. Um, and he says, So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. I don't know about you, but did you notice the redundancy in that, those few verses right there? How many times does he say, you will not be justified by the works of the law? Three times. In that very short passage. Now, folks, what's the message there? Well, that's just as plain as it can be, right? Religion will not make us right with God. It doesn't matter how sincere we are in our religion, in our efforts to make ourselves right with God. It doesn't matter how good we are in our religion. It doesn't matter what we don't do. Religion, works of the law, will not make us right with God. Now, what this is, and this may sound funny, but it's encouraging to me to see who it was that struggled here. Peter and Barnabas, two of the greatest Christian examples we have in the New Testament, are struggling with this issue. Why is that encouraging to me? It should be encouraging to you too because we struggle with the same thing. You know, the Bible is so honest. It doesn't hide that believers struggle. And we do. And I want to be honest with you. I struggle. I get caught up in who I am and what I'm doing. And I start to think about, well, I've got to do this, 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 and this to keep my relationship with God right. You know, this, this passage is not just about how we come to faith, how we come to a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. It's about how we live in our relationship with Jesus Christ. And we're tempted to start trusting in what we do and who we are in our religion. Is that true? In your life? Do you find yourself thinking and evaluating your relationship with God based upon your checklist, your personal checklist that you have? I can't answer that for you. I can only answer it for me. And I know that I get caught in that lie from time to time. And God has to remind me that it is a lie. It's a lie that is straight from hell. Now that's kind of the, 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 the setting for the next couple of verses, which I think really do uh, bring us to the heart of the message uh, this morning, the heart of this issue. I started the sermon with the question, does Christ promote sin? The reason that question was being asked is, and, and let me, it was being asked by the 
by the religious people who were saying, well, if we're saved by grace, if we don't have to do anything, if it's God's free gift and we don't have to keep the law to be right, made right with God, then that means that we're free to sin and do all we want to do. And if we tell people that, what are they going to do? They're going to go out and sin. That's kind of the idea. So the argument was being made, and we see it, Paul addresses it in several of his letters, the argument was being made that the gospel of grace promotes sin. Does it? Is Jesus a promoter of sin? Is he a servant of sin? That's the question that's asked. Let's just read these last few verses, and then I want to just jump in in the answer. This begins in um, verse 17 of Galatians chapter 2. It says, But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? What's his answer? What's the answer? Say it louder. Well, is Christ a servant of sin? Does he promote sin? No, absolutely not. You can't say it any more emphatically than it's being said here. Does Christ promote sin? But we're saved by grace. We don't have to keep the law. And he's saying we can do what we want to do. This is an issue that, that was raised, and it's an issue that we struggle with today. We struggle with in the church. A lot of times we seem to think, well, because we're saved, we, we preach salvation by grace through faith, and nothing else. And, we, say, and, we, and we, we give the message, or people hear the message, that means I can do whatever I want to do. I don't have to keep the law. I don't have to keep any set of rules to make myself right with God. And that is true. I don't have to keep any set of rules to make myself right with God, right? That's the point of the gospel. See, it's difficult to even articulate it. And there's a close uh, line that we cross over into when we say is what, well, if, if that's the way it is, then I'm just free to live in sin. And Paul's addressing that issue, and, and his answer is certainly not. And then he goes on to say a couple of things that are, that are difficult to understand, uh, really, as you look at them. And he says, uh, in, in giving reasons for why Christ is not a promoter of sin, why he does not promote sin. First, he says, if I rebuild what I tore down, I've proved myself to be a transgressor. Now, there are a couple of different ways that people understand this. Let me just give you at the heart of the issue of does Christ promote sin? Now, Scripture says that outside of Christ, we are slaves to sin. We're in bondage to sin. We have no choice. Not in the sense that we don't have it. We, we will choose to sin consistently. I shouldn't say we have no choice uh, because we do have a choice and we will choose to sin. That's the message that is consistent throughout Scripture. We're, we're in bondage to it. Now, as long as we are seeking to serve, to um, strike that thought, let me just let's finish. So what he's saying here is if I rebuild what I tore down, when I come to faith in Jesus Christ and put my trust in him, Bondage to sin is broken. The Scripture says that we've been set free. We're no longer slaves to sin. We're now free to serve God, to walk in righteousness and holiness. So, so his first answer is, 
No, if I continue to sin, all I'm doing is putting myself back into bondage, back into slavery to sin. And then he goes on in the, um, to give a couple of, and actually the next two verses are the same answer, but he kind of he gives it and then he restates it and, and extrapolates on it a little bit or kind of expands on it a little bit. He says, um, For through the law I died to the law so that I might live to God. Let's just take that one first. What does that mean? Through the law I died to the law. All right, so what he's talking about. Now, is Paul dead when he's writing the letter? No, he's not. He's not talking about himself directly. He's talking about the relationship that he has with Jesus Christ and that you and I have in, in, with Jesus Christ. In Christ, I died to the law. Who died on the cross? It's not a trick question. Who died on the cross? Who else died on the cross? All of us, it, believers, right? But Scripture says, and that's the next verse, I am crucified with Christ, therefore I no longer live. Now, I memorized that verse. I didn't say all of it. I'm crucified with Christ, therefore I no longer live. Uh, the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith uh, in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I memorized that verse when I was in high school. It, I don't think it was an act of religion. Maybe it was. Uh, but I memorized it. But you know what? I struggle. I still struggle with understanding exactly what that verse means. I am crucified with Christ. What, what was Paul saying? Because, and what should you and I be able to say? I am crucified with Christ. When Christ died, he took our place on the cross. He was our substitute. You know, we deserve to die, and he went to the cross, and he died for us. I'm crucified with him is a statement of the biblical truth that he died for us and in our place. It's also a statement of the biblical truth that we have died with Christ to our old man and in our old self. And it, you look at it and you say, it says, All right, I'm crucified with Christ, therefore I no longer live. Well, I'm still alive. And I wish I could say that my old man is dead and gone in practical experience. I don't say that because the truth of the matter is I still struggle with sin. Do you? You don't have to answer me. I just, I, do you? I still struggle with sin. I still struggle with following the ways, the patterns that I had uh, from my life before Christ or the patterns that I developed even after my life with Christ, the sinful patterns. The old man is still struggling for, for life in me. I'm crucified with Christ. What are we talking Vicariously, Christ died for me. And Paul says what I have to do is I have to consider myself dead to sin today. Now, consider myself dead to sin. Therefore, I no longer live, but the life I now live in the flesh. Okay, is that where we are today? The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. He loved uh, me and gave himself for me. How do we do that? You know, it's one of my passions is that we don't just read Scripture. And I don't mean... We, I struggle with this myself. I don't want to just read it and memorize it. I want to understand how I do it, how I actually apply it. Because one thing the Bible makes clear, it's not the hearers of the Word who are made right with God. Right? It's those who believe it and obey it. 
and put it into practice. Now, I want to understand what, it, what, what Paul meant when he said, I'm crucified with Christ. Therefore, I no longer live. But the life I now live, I live by faith. Scripture tells us that we have, we have died with Him. And the way Paul says it in Romans is, consider yourselves, reckon yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. We now live with Christ, with Christ in us. I don't think there's anything mystical about it. I find it very difficult at times to, to, to grasp a hold of it. But the bottom line, what that means is, right, God, the Son, has come to live and abide in me and reside in me through the presence of the Holy Spirit. And when I live by faith, I listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. I listen to Him and I, and I walk in obedience to Him. That's what living by faith is. And it's faith in the sense that God says, I've changed you. You're dead. You've, you're risen to a new life. And you are now mine. And actually, you know, it's, it's one passage of Scripture even says that we are already in the heavens with Him, in heaven with Christ. How can that be? You're standing, you're sitting right there in front of me. I'm standing right here. We're not in heaven, are we? These are these are difficult issues. But let me just suggest to you this thought: when God says it, it's done, even though we don't experience it yet. And even though we are, in fact, fleshing out what God says He's done in our hearts and lives, we're, we're working it out day in and day out as we live by faith, trusting that what He said is actually true. So when He said Jesus died for our sins, we trust that Jesus paid the price for our sins. Right? And when He says that Jesus lives in us, and the life we now live uh, is Christ in us, we trust, we believe that, and we, don't, and, and we don't just believe it up here. We believe it in our conduct. We listen and follow the lead of the Holy Spirit. Galatians 2.20 is not an easy verse to live. Galatians 2.20 is an easy verse to live. So much of the, of the Scripture is just that. It's difficult and yet it's, it's simple and it's easy if we simply listen and obey. If we, if we believe in that sense, if we trust that what God said is true is actually true. Let me give you an illustration of, I think, how Galatians 2.20 actually works out in our lives. In the letter to the Philippians, Paul says, and, and, and you think, I've been crucified with Christ, is therefore uh, I no longer live. This is what he said in, in to the Philippians. He said, I consider everything that I was as rubbish or as trash. And then he kind of goes on to give a list of everything that he was. I was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. I was uh, born of a certain tribe. And he lists all the things that he did, all of his religion that he was involved in. He said, I consider all of that as trash, as rubbish, in order that I may be found in Christ. Now, here's the key. If I don't consider my religion 
my works, all that I'm doing is absolute trash. If I think it has some merit, some value, I've missed out on that in order that. In order that I may be found in Jesus Christ. And that's not something that you do once and you walk away from it. Matter of fact, we struggle with it all the time. Let me ask, do we? Am I the only one? Do we struggle with considering all that we are and we do as trash? It's absolutely useless in terms of our relationship to God. Do you? We learn, right? We, we, we live out our faith day by day. We work it out. We flesh it out in our lives. And when God says it, even though He may have said it 2,000 years ago, and He may have done the work in my life 50 years ago, it's still fleshing out now. But when in God's eyes, right, the time is not an issue. 2,000 years in his eyes, it's the same to us as when you flip a light switch and the lights come on. There's a time, you know, we don't see any time at all between the light coming on and the switch being flipped. But there could be a 2,000-year gap and God wouldn't see. Uh, it would be just as quick. Because when he says it, he accomplishes what he says. The question is, do we believe it and do we let it happen in our lives? We don't become spiritual zombies Zombies for Jesus. I don't know why, but this just the idea just caught my caught my mind this morning. Even the idea, I probably at times in my life I have prayed, God, just take over. Don't let me do those things anymore. Like a zombie, you know, who's risen from the dead and he walks along and he he has no will of his own. He has no. He's just controlled by something else. You know, there are times when I I have actually prayed that, that God would do something like that in me, so I wouldn't have to fight. The fight, I wouldn't have to live by faith. But that's not what he does in us. Right? He gives us new life. He puts his Holy Spirit within us and he says, listen and obey and follow me. Trust in me and live by faith. If you're trusting in your works, I don't like that word. I don't know that it means a whole lot to me. If you're trusting in all that you do or how good you are, you've actually bought into one of the oldest lies that Satan has been promoting since mankind began, that we can earn our way to God. So when we talk about losing your religion, that's exactly the, the concept that Paul wants us to understand. Religion, not only will it not save you, it in fact condemns you to hell. Because if you're trusting in your religion, you're not trusting in Jesus Christ. How do we do that? By considering ourselves crucified, dead, joined together with Christ on the cross, and by considering that He is alive in us and following Him. It's a difficult concept, and I don't know that I've done a very good job of explaining it. But I, I do know that it's one of those verses, it's one of those concepts that we have to lay a hold of 
as we live day in and day out. Does Christ live in you? Have you put your trust in Him? Are you listening to Him and walking by faith? And are you struggling with, this is what I need to do. These are the rules I need to keep if I want to be right with God. She said, I grew up in a... Boy, I hate the term religious, to be honest with you. I just can't stand it. I grew up in a family that... I mean, we were at church when church doors were open. Always. I've been that way my whole life when church doors are open. But if I start trusting in that, does that make me right with God? Feed the poor, take care of... You know, all these things that we can do. Are we trusting in those or are we trusting in God? Let me read the verse one more time. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. I can't trust in me and what I'm doing. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's his gift. I've tried to personalize this because I don't know any other way to read Scripture. It's personal to me. And I hope that you've done the same thing as I've talked because it needs to be personal to you. Do you consider yourself crucified with Christ? Have you quit trusting in yourself? Do you live life by faith, trusting in Him and what He did for you today, yesterday, tomorrow? Is that how you live? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for your presence. Father, I thank you for your gift of life. The gift of having, a, of being able to come into a relationship with you. Father, I thank you. I can't begin to thank you enough, but it doesn't count. It doesn't uh, matter how religious I am or what I do. What matters is that I trust in what you did for me. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for giving your life, for dying on that cross for me. Help us, Lord, to live by faith. Help me to live by faith today, tomorrow, rest the rest of my life and on. In Christ's precious and holy name I pray. Amen.